The Daily Logos, Episode 14, The Sermon on the Mount, Divorce. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to continue working through the Sermon on the Mount. Christ's opening sermon in his ministry teaches how, excuse me, teaches us how to walk with God. Today's topic is another difficult subject, if you ask me. It teaches yet another standard God has that I personally didn't realize or understand until I studied every single verse I could find about marriage and the responsibilities of a husband and wife. It would be important to understand that the Bible is what dictates truth, not culture. So just because something is legal doesn't mean it's moral. We also need to define marriage from the biblical standpoint. Now, what constitutes marriage depends on who you ask. According to God, marriage is between one man and one woman. So if someone partakes in polygamy or is a homosexual, God doesn't acknowledge it. Marriage, by biblical definition, is a lifelong commitment, promise, or agreement that is legally binding, facilitated by a minister who can unify two people in holy matrimony, followed by the union of one flesh, which is sexual intercourse. Now, some people claim that the union of one flesh in Genesis is not sex, but they are wrong, and the reason they're wrong is because the Bible says so. 1 Corinthians 6.16 says, Or do you not know that he who joins, excuse me, he who is joined to a harlot becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So there you have it, folks. The verse we just read also points to the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well, which is another common mistaught thing. Jesus said that she had five husbands. Now, if you study John 4.17 and you read Cyril of Alexander's commentary, excuse me, Cyril of Alexandria's commentary, Matthew Poole's commentary, Meyer's New Testament commentary, John Chrysostom's commentary, I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong, Maldonatus's commentary, and many others, they all agree that the five marriages were in fact fornication. They weren't legal marriages. And this is a terrifying thing to come to understand about how serious the union of one flesh is to God. It also drives the point home about how important repentance is. Because once we update our minds and learn what sin is, then we can turn away from it. So now that we know what marriage is, we can look at what God says about divorce. Let's start with scripture and unpack God's standards. We will look at four sets of verses about marriage to fully understand. We must always use scripture to interpret scripture. I cannot stress that enough. Matthew 5:31 through 32 says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Matthew 19, divorce is taught twice in Matthew. Matthew 19, 3-9 says, And the Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Well, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said, and this is what Jesus said, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Mark 10, 11 through 12 says, And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, then she commits adultery. 
Luke 16, 18 says, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So I didn't know any of that till probably this past year. So I had to do a lot of repenting, you know, updating my mind. So here's what we have as a summary so far. So far, God does not allow divorce. Moses allowed men to divorce their wives because the men's hearts became hard and they wanted to toss their wives away. Jesus clarifies the only reason someone could dispose of a wife is due to sexual immorality. And this is point number two as a summary. If a man divorces his wife and gets remarried, he commits adultery. Point number three, or summary number three. If a wife divorces her husband and gets remarried, she commits adultery. Number four, if a man marries a woman who's been divorced before, then he himself commits adultery. So this begs the question, what if the person is the one on the receiving end of the divorce? And how does separation play into all this? What does God allow and what does God not, not allow? 1 Corinthians 7 through, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11 says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled with her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So here we see God saying, women don't separate from your husbands and men don't divorce your wives. This still drives the point home that whenever someone gets married, it's for life. That's God's will. This begs another question. What if we get married as unbelievers and one becomes a Christian, but the other one doesn't want to be a Christian? Can the believer divorce a non-believer? The answer is no. And the reason for that is because God said so. And we'll prove it with the following verses. 1 Corinthians 7 12 through 16 says, To the rest I say, not I, but the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his believing wife, and otherwise the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, and how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, I thought those were a really cool set of verses because it shows just how compassionate God is and how high he holds marriage. The believer must stay with the unbeliever in hopes of sanctification and salvation for the unbeliever. There's hope in, the, there's hope in those rules, and that's so cool to see the hope shine through and the compassion shine through. I will finish today today's study with probably the most difficult topic regarding marriage and divorce or the most difficult verses to cover. You know, I'm not going to avoid them just because it's hard. I think that's actually what we should do with hard verses. We shouldn't read the Bible verses that make us feel warm and fuzzy inside unless, of course, we need to pick me up. We should read the verses that challenge us, that are tough. That's what we should work through. And like I'd mentioned earlier, I've learned all of this over the past year or so, and it was something quite foreign to me until I came across it. And honestly, before I read this, if someone would have asked me, I would have disagreed, but until I found out it was in the Bible, of course. So if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then when we come across something in the Bible, we must repent, which means to update our minds to what sin is so we can turn away from it, which is the second part of repentance. So since I've come across these verses, I have had to repent multiple times, 
by learning the truth in God's written word. So now on to the tough stuff. 1 Corinthians 7.39 says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married for whom she, to whom she wishes. Only in the Lord, though. Right? So there's a Christian injunction there at the end. Romans 7, 2 through 3 says, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. If she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So death is what breaks that, that bond um, in those two verses regarding a wife. Now she's bound to her husband as long as she lives. So let's summarize everything so far. God does not allow divorce. Moses allowed the men to divorce their wives because the men's heart had become hard and they wanted to toss their, toss their wives away. Jesus clarifies the only acceptable reason for a man to divorce his wife is due to sexual immorality. If a man divorces his wife and gets remarried, he commits adultery. If a wife divorces her husband and gets remarried, she commits adultery. If a man marries a woman who has been divorced before, he commits adultery. A Christian husband cannot divorce a non-Christian wife because he may be able to save her. A Christian wife cannot divorce a non-Christian husband because she may be able to save him. And a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Once he dies, she is released from the marriage and can remarry without committing adultery. I want to close with two ideas, and this is my personal experience and opinion. I try to hold back my own opinion as often as I can, but today I want to express it. Two things. Number one, I have only seen the Catholic Church take marriage as seriously as God does. There are many things I disagree with in the Catholic, excuse me, the Catholic Church that doesn't seem biblical, such as the infallibility of the Pope. That's just one example. Now, I'm currently studying Orthodox Christianity, so I do not know their biblical stance or what it is on marriage, but I know they take it seriously. And I'll say this again, in my experience, I do not see the Protestant faith as a whole taking marriage as seriously as the Orthodox Christians and Catholic Christians. The reason I say that is because both the Orthodox Christians and the Catholic Christians list marriage as a holy sacrament or holy mystery, whereas the majority of Protestants has redu have reduced the holy sacraments or holy mysteries from seven down to two, only focusing on water baptism and the Eucharist, which is the what Jesus commands in Luke. Now, some Protestant churches only have one sacrament, water baptism for repentance. To me, this proves how man has watered down God's truth in Scripture. More could be said here, but I won't continue. Second thing I'd like to say. Let me give you an example of legalism and playing the system to one's own advantage. By biblical authorization, according to Jesus' teachings in Matthew, if a wife even admitted to committing adultery of the heart or adultery of the mind, a husband could divorce her if an illegal, a legalistic approach was taken here. So here is where I think we must use logic to reason through things to make sure we grasp God's intent. I personally have never met a person in my entire life who hasn't committed adultery of the heart or adultery of the mind, male or female, inside or outside the confines of marriage, Christian or non-Christian. Every single person I have asked about lust has admitted to it, and we learned yesterday that lust is adultery. So what should be done about that? Rampant divorce everywhere and broken homes everywhere? No. This is why we must look at the consequences before we make decisions. With that being said, I think the whole mercy triumphs over judgment would be fitting here. And as a reminder, to revisit the adulterous woman Jesus saved from stoning, that would be a good point to be made also. And let's not forget how he commanded her to repent afterwards. I think if people truly came to understand just how sinful we all truly are, we would be more willing to show grace, mercy, and forgiveness. 
In my experience, hypocrisy, contradiction, and ignorance are all rampant, and people just choose what parts of the Bible they want to follow based on convenience. I've heard people teach you don't have to obey the law without clarifying what parts of the law we have to obey. I've heard people teach husbands have to submit to their wives because they don't understand that Ephesians 5.21 is instruction for the people within the household of faith in a church setting, and then the marriage starts the marriage guidance starts from Ephesians 5.22 and on. So again, people misteach that. I've heard people teach the Bible's not a rule book without clarifying what they mean by that. I've heard people teach men and women have the same authority within a home. I've heard people teach love covers a multitude of sin as if it's a permission slip to sin. I've heard people take God's written word as mere suggestions. When Jesus clearly says in Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? All of these things I just listed, as I have heard them taught, violate and blaspheme God's written word. Folks, there's basically a Protestant church that fits every variation of hypocrisy or contradiction one could think of. And the list of 43,000 Protestant denominations prove that. Now, does anybody really think there are 43,000 things about Scripture that are confusing or bewildering? Absolutely not. It's ridiculous. This is why diligent study of Scripture and continual repentance is so vital. Many churches are not upholding God's standard. Rather, they are diluting it, and it breaks my heart to see what they're up against. Not only that, but a lot of the tough stuff we need to hear to grow as Christians, I don't hear them being taught in church. And that, to me, is heartbreaking. It truly is. We need to hear the tough stuff so we can grow, so we can carry our cross and follow Him. So here's what I ask of you. Please verify everything you hear being taught. Please use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Please ask why often. Please don't cherry-pick Bible verses. Please don't just arbitrarily trust a church because it's a certain denomination or even non-denominational. And please don't read Scripture through the lens of American culture. Please learn the heart and mind of God as it is revealed in His written word, and please study the original manuscripts at blueletterbible.org. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.